and, um, and make yourself comfortable. As you do, you know, it's well known in our household, the shepherd household, it gets exaggerated a bit. You could be forgiven for thinking that it's uh, mum and kids versus dad. You could be forgiven for that. And if you're going to take sides on it this morning, while I'm up here, you'll take my side, won't you? Yeah? Wow. Um, <laughs> hey, are we a bit subdued this morning? Who's feeling subdued? <laughs> Three people put their hands up. Who's feeling energized? Two people put their hands up. Right. Okay, hey, just, just relax a bit. Come on, come on. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to be in church. Relax. If you sit next to someone you know, make sure you know them. Like, just reach over and give them a reassuring pat on the, on the shoulder or the knee or something. That's it. And if they're looking a little bit sleepy... They're looking a little bit unenthusiastic. Just see if you can pump a bit of enthusiasm into them, eh? All right? Come on. Because we have been a bit subdued this morning. Right on. So, going back to that, um, this dynamic in our household is that you do not ask Dad a question that he doesn't know the answer to. Because if you do... He's likely to get a bit, a bit grumpy or a lot grumpy. Dad doesn't, you don't ask dad questions that he doesn't know the answer to. Um, and dad likes movies that are, quote unquote, relatively realistic. Who's with me on that? Like dad doesn't like movies. No tolerance whatsoever. For sci-fi, very little tolerance for fantasy or magic or conspiracy theories or abstract, no abstract. So don't watch a movie with dad if it's one of those. Because he will, he will get grumpy. And worse still, <laughs> he'll be asking you questions all the way through. Try to understand what the whatever is going on in that stupid movie. You won't even be able to concentrate on watching the movie because dad will be asking you a question every 30 seconds. What? So years ago, it's years ago now, Deb and I went to see this movie. I want you to watch. Just see if anyone remembers this movie. Like, watch this. Don't go watch it. Comments are still headed. What else is on? Yeah, let's do what else. Coming to you now from the largest studio ever constructed, it's The Truman Show. Yeah! Good morning. Good morning. Oh, and in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. <laughs> what if? No scripts. No cue cards. Morning, Spencer. How's it going? What if you were watched every moment of your life? How many cameras you got there in that town? 5,000. I believe Truman is the first child to have been legally adopted by a corporation. That's correct. Brilliant. What if everyone you knew was pretending? Hi, honey. Look what I got at the checkout. Dishwasher safe. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. 
What if your world was make-believe? Cue the sun. While the world he inhabits is counterfeit. I'm not allowed to talk to you. That's how I look. Not your type. There's nothing fake about Truman himself. What if you didn't know it? Until now. A lot of strange things have been happening. Stand by ring cam. Is he looking at us? Do you think he knows? I think I'm mixed up in something. Something big. Oh. We accept the reality with which we're presented. Everybody's pretending, Truman. Get out of here. Come and find me. Truman? Truman! Truman! Anything happen? No. Mm-hmm. You might find yourself in another part of the world. It's like the whole world revolves around me. Everybody seems to be in on it. I'm going away for a while. You may tell yourself, this is not my beautiful wife. You may ask yourself, how did I get here? I'm not in on it, Truman, because the last thing that I would ever do is lie to you. Fade up music. That's our hero shot. <laughs> He's gone. Okay? Yes! Want to do it again? No! Find him. How do we stop him? Give me some light. Is that the best you can do? Cut transmission. I like your pen. I was wondering that myself. Jim Carrey, The Truman Show. Watch what happens. Well, you know, we said um, no fantasy, no conspiracy theory, no abstract. Well, The Truman Show lumped all of those in together. All right. Who saw it? Give me, give me Castaway or Captain Phillips, Hurricane. Even, even The Shack. The Shack's got a bit of unbelievable. But like even that, like, and I watch those movies all day. But The Truman Show, it was the second worst one ever in my life yet for me. The worst, the worst was Pret-a-Porte. Anyone see that? Thank God for that. Like you're, you're in good shape that you didn't watch that. Um, but ask Deb about her and me. Ask her about me at the Truman Show. Like I got really angry. Didn't I, Deb? Like not just a little bit. Off the charts. Like I kept asking her, "What's going on?" And I was like, I was. I was like, I don't, I don't get this. Like, it looked like everyone in the cinema got it. I'm looking around, everyone's smiling and laughing. Like, like it's not like that I didn't like it. I didn't get it. It was as weird as could, weird as weird as weird could be. You saw that and weirder still. I thought I was some sort of average intelligence sort of guy. And I didn't get it and I couldn't get it. So I just, got, I, I was ready to leave. Like, and, and like it was... I think it was almost disturbing for Deb. Like, I was really angry. And then finally, must have been three quarters of the way through that thing, all of a sudden, fell into place. Still didn't like it. But it clicked. And then that clicked and it made sense. But, oh, <laughs> the angst that we went through before that. Be, be relieved that you weren't there with us that night. wasn't pretty. Um, the night, one night in Canada, we started watching The Matrix. <laughs> Who said yes? Oh, for 
crying out loud. You guys can leave now. Like, <laughs> the Matrix. Um, much the same happened. It was, it was Deb and I and her two brothers at her brother Dan's place. I left. <laughs> I left, went back to Deb's parents' place and went to bed. Like, no tolerance for that whatsoever. You know when something's strange and weird and illogical, you know, like, um, did, did you ever have that, that sort of experience that I had with the Truman Show, you know, where you just got no idea and then all of a sudden it clicks? You know, someone was gobbledygook, do you? But then it was like someone walked into the dark room and just flicked the light switch on and now it made sense. What, what this morning, what's the mystery that you brought with you here this morning? What is it? What's the mystery? The strange, the bizarre thing. You would love to see into it. But you can't. Seems weird. We've been talking here in church. I wonder if this could be the mystery for some. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit last two weeks, week three today. Not just for all of us as individuals, but also for all of us together, like as a church family. Maybe, maybe that is your mystery this morning. So I wanted to pose a question here this morning and say, what, what might it look like if we're growing in the Holy Spirit? Like by asking that question this morning, just to say, could we make that a little less mysterious? Could we, I mean, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Could we allow the Holy Spirit to make that a little less mysterious for us this morning? What do you reckon? You heard it these last couple of Sundays. You heard, you, you've been listening. And you heard from, from some of the Bible passages that we've looked at. You, you don't want to stifle or quench the Holy Spirit. And if you're honest, you love the idea of being part of a church where the Holy Spirit is not given limitations or hosed down or kept safe or secure or even frowned upon. But you still don't, you still don't really know what it could look like. Do you feel that at all? Because I do. Here's what we said the first couple of weeks of our fire series. Um, first week, so... A couple of weeks ago, we said the Holy Spirit, just a reminder that the Holy Spirit is God. Right? That the Holy Spirit, God, is powerful, effective, and totally necessary in our lives. So from the Bible, but when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, Jesus said these words. He said, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive power and will tell people about me everywhere. Uh, Ina, would you mind just putting that next that verse up for us, please? Thank you. You'll receive power and you'll tell people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Okay, so Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, you receive power. Remember the word? Dunamis in the Greek, dynamite. <laughs> Talk power. Yeah, it's power. And then last week, what we said is that God's design for us, or to God's design is for us to be filled with his spirit 
It's not just to have the Spirit. We saw from Scripture last week a clear distinction between those things. They're not necessarily mutually exclusive. Just because you have the Spirit doesn't mean that you're necessarily filled with the Spirit. Now, there are lots of different ways, talk about the Holy Spirit, maybe more so than a lot of topics we could talk about in church here. Do a series on for a month, you know, fire. Um, Lots of different ways of looking at all this. And many of those differing views and ideas, maybe not all of them, but many of them come from people who really love Jesus. And they take the authority of God's word really seriously. And they're convinced that they're interpreting the Bible truthfully. So I want to remind you of that as we remind ourselves of a few things that we said last week. Now, first one, just a couple of things. First one, the stories that we have in our Bibles about people who, we looked at some of these last week, or we looked at the, the principle of it, who were baptized in the Spirit. Now, remember, we're talking about people who already knew Jesus. And then they were baptized in the Spirit. Those stories are in the book of Acts in our Bibles. There's five of them. When you read those stories, in each case, when those people receive this gift of the Holy Spirit, remember they're already Christians, then they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Often it's through someone else praying for them, the laying on of hands and praying for them. When it happens, in each case, they speak in tongues. They speak in other languages. So we are acknowledging that. Like it's, it's, it's unarguable. It's there. The stories we've got, that's what happens. But, my friends, we cannot assume from those stories because they're narrative stories. We can't assume from that. Therefore, anyone who's baptized in the Spirit today will automatically speak in tongues can't assume that because God's word doesn't say that. Make sense? And then a second thing to remind ourselves, which we said last week as well, is that our Bibles don't actually give us some sort of formula and tell us how to get filled with the Holy Spirit. They do tell us some things about what happens when we do get filled with the Holy Spirit, about what happens when it happens, and we're going to look at them in a minute. But they don't give us some sort of formula for how to be filled with the Spirit. So if you remember, just back to last week, remember this, um, in Ephesians 5.18 where it says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's the present tense. It's the present tense. When, so be filled, present tense. So it means keep on being filled again and again. It's not a commandment for something to happen this afternoon or next week, you know, like a once-off. And like once it's happened, it's happened. It's a present tense use of the word. And so it's talking about something that happens again and again and again and again and again and again and again. All right? Present tense. It's in the passive voice in the Greek language, which means let yourself be filled like you're what we call in Greek grammar you're what we call the subject you're the subject of the command 
You're not, the, you're not making the command happen, all right? So you don't have to fill yourself. The idea is for you to let yourself be filled. And this is an imperative. So remember, we, we talked about last week, like we know some of the Ten Commandments, don't we? And we know stuff here like, hopefully, we try to obey this this week. Do not murder. Do not steal. All right? They're commands, you know those. Well, this has exactly the same force as those commands. It's a command from God. So if I know that God commands me to do something, see that, and it's a passive action, it's from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, it's a passive action, in other words, I don't have to fill myself with the Holy Spirit, rather I have to let the Holy Spirit fill me. So if we don't have a formula in the Bible about how to get filled with the Spirit, what makes sense? Like what can we put together from everything that we know and with the authority of God's Word, what can we put together as to how we can be filled with the Spirit? Because that's a key question, isn't it? How can I be filled with the Spirit? I want to suggest, number one, um, is to seek and to pray for the deeper work of the Spirit in your life, like this is for you. Um, we talked last week, we, we, we read some things from Andrew Murray, you know, that famous theologian and orphan, uh, author, and uh, I got a book in the office, I should have brought it in to show you, but it's called They Found the Secret. And it's, it's compiled by V. Raymond Edmund, and he's got 20 people in there. Some of them, Andrew Murray's in there, Hudson Taylor is in there, William Carey is in there. Um, it's got some household names, and then it's got a few names of people who I'd never even heard of. And he's saying that this is a common experience in each of their lives that they've got a time, just as Andrew Murray said, we read it last week, where he's a Christian, he, like, like he, he's a, an in-demand international speaker and author. He knows Jesus, no doubt at all about his relationship with Jesus. Then there comes a time when he, he said, my mind was exercised, remember, about the baptism of the Spirit, and he sought that and he received it. And in each case, when you read this book, it looks different for all of these people. It's, it's not exactly the same formula, but it's like that. So it's saying there's a time of, um, there's, a time, there's like two stages, all right? So I want to encourage you, if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, seek and pray for the deeper work of the Holy Spirit. I imagine that there are some people who are sitting here listening to that now and saying, oh, I don't know, I don't know about that, Jeff. Not the second work of the Spirit. Okay, well, that's okay. You don't have to agree with me. Let's just, let's just say that I'm wrong on that and you're right. Let me ask you this. Will it do you any harm at all to seek it and to ask the Holy Spirit? So if you're really skeptical on that, just to say, Holy Spirit, I'm really skeptical on this. But if there is more for you to give me, if there is a deeper level, if there's something that I've, I've missed out on here, please would you give it to me? Please. Could you lose anything by that? It's not going to do any harm at all. So that's if you're, even if you're really, really sceptical. Personally, I'm not sceptical on that. I'm convinced of it, personally. So I actually think it's possible for you to live your whole life as a Christian without being filled with the Holy Spirit. And oftentimes, uh, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, 
Oftentimes, it does involve speaking in tongues or other prophecy or some other manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And so for some people, that's, it, it, it sort of happens like it's a, it, it's a defined experience that happens at a certain time. And like, I just can't deny that because I've just spoken to so many people and read so many people who I really, really respect and that's what's happened for them. Can't deny it. And for others, I'm convinced this is a journey. They, they, they did gradually over time learn the whole concept of being filled with the Holy Spirit, become more open to it, become less resistant to it. It happens more gradually. So what I'm suggesting to you, just to get this together, is for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we should not be seeking some sort of package. You know, convinced that when I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, this is what it's going to look like. Now, I'm just suggesting that we should all be seeking with all our hearts and praying accordingly for the deeper, deeper work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and opening ourselves, intentionally opening ourselves to anything God wants to give any experience he wants to give us, any revelation he wants to give us, any greater understanding that he wants to give us. And you know, if we're not doing that, we're in grave danger of quenching the Holy Spirit, stifling the Holy Spirit. If we're defined in our mind as to how big this can be and no bigger and to how far this can go, and no father, and to how this might look like, and how it might not, and it won't. If that's the box that we're living in, we're in grave danger of stifling the Holy Spirit and saying, no, no, I'll just use the hose, I'll use the garden hose, and I'll just keep, this fire can keep burning, but we'll just keep it just there. Don't let it get any bigger. All right? So, to be seeking and that, that, that deeper work of the Holy Spirit in our lives suggests that's the first thing to do. And, okay. and then the second thing then, how can we fill with the Spirit? So firstly, seeking it. And the second thing then is continually. All right. So once we're seeking the deeper work of the Spirit in our lives and then continually doing these things, confessing known sin, yielding myself to the Holy Spirit, because I'm going to let the Holy Spirit fill me, it's kind of, it's something to do with, okay, well, Holy Spirit, you can fill me. It's, it's yielding myself. This is why, you don't have to do this, and it's not an advertisement for it or something like that, and I'm not trying to pressure you into it, but this is one of the, one of the huge benefits, and, and go right through the ages, you know, study history. When we sing, and we raise our hands. This is a sign of surrender. It's a sign, of, like, and it's like I believe it's like sure you can raise your hands and mean nothing by it. You can, but let's say you want to surrender in your heart and you raise your hands. This is a powerful, powerful sign of surrender. Um, and it's you know we're not the only ones that thought of it. Surrender, and so it's like. I will yield myself to the Holy Spirit and then I will ask the Holy Spirit to fill me. And all the while, not quenching the Holy Spirit. So, 
Um, I don't know why. <laughs> There's no reason for it. I, I can't think of a reason, and certainly no one sitting here is responsible for it. But this morning, um, like, I'm, I'm just a bit grumpy and grouchy. All right? Um, I don't know. That happens, you know? Anyway, um, then before, while we were singing, you, some of you saw probably, like, I disappeared. I went and got a drink, and then I was up the back there, and I had to do this just then. Like, then I, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the grumpy, grouchy, negative thoughts that I've just been thinking now. I'm sorry. No way they're right. I'm sorry. Um, I would just, I don't even feel like it can happen because I'm grumpy. But I really want to just open myself up. Please fill me with your spirit. Please fill me with your spirit. Like I did that just, did you see me on or I was walking around beside you up the back there? I had to. All right. Um, I even had some of you come to me last week and, um, and ask me specifics. Like, because we love to get formulas on this, don't we? You know? And I can't give them to you. Because the Holy Spirit works in different ways. But what I'm suggesting to you is that there is usually a decisive thing that happens to take us into a deeper stage with the Holy Spirit in our lives. There usually is, whether that's a once-off journey or where it's a, a you know, like a, a more, like, sorry, a once-off event or other times a journey. But there's a greater level of openness to the Spirit and a deeper experience of the Spirit. Okay, so that's, that usually does happen. And there's always a many, many times daily experience of asking the Holy Spirit to fill us. Okay? Um, what happens when we do get filled with the Spirit? Let's say, just, just a couple of examples from Galatians chapter 5. So I advise you, Paul says, to live according to your new life in this Holy Spirit. Other versions will say, um, be led by the Spirit. Okay, so there it is, the same sort of deal, being filled with the Spirit. But look what happens. Then, when you get filled with the Spirit, you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. So you're asking, what happens when I get filled with the Spirit? You won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. But when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, He will produce this kind of fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. So, yeah. um, so right. Um, we've, got a, we've got a pear tree. In the back. Uh, we've, got a, we've got a pear. We've got a whole lot of fruit trees in our backyard. But the one that I like, my favourite one, is that one that grows, um, they're called donut peaches. Ever heard of donut peaches? They're awesome to eat. They're just really, really nice. Our donut, is that, is that the right name, donut peach? Yeah, it is. Okay. I knew they were peaches. Our donut peach tree does not, like, I've never seen it anyway. It's not sitting there saying, I'm a peach tree. Grow peaches. Come on. No, 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 no. No apricots, no lemons. We're going to grow peaches. It just grows them. Because it's a peach tree. The Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit fills you, he produces this kind of fruit in your life. All right, so it's not like you've got to try and do it. The Holy Spirit does it. All right, look at this, Ephesians 5. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, let the Holy Spirit fill and control you. All right, that's the command we looked at last week. Then you will sing. I've looked it up. Sing means sing. So it means you'll sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, making music to the Lord in your hearts. And 
Apart from singing, you will always give thanks for everything. To God the Father, thank you, Jesus, that I am grouchy this morning. (laughs) All right? Joel chapter 2, prophecy, way ahead of time, before the Holy Spirit came. Then after God says, I've pulled out my reins again, I'll pour out my, my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Prophesying, two different ways of prophesying usually. Um, one is that we foretell. So we're actually saying, just like Joel was then, he was prophesying what's going to happen in the future. And prophecy also is where we foretell, where we actually stick our finger right on an issue and something that's happening. So it's actually proclaiming and declaring really powerful words into the midst of a situation. And trust me, if there's something wrong in your life and you're not doing too well, and someone who's got the gift of prophecy comes along, oh, <laughs> can be a little bit scary because they, they may point out. And prophecy as well, reading our culture and, and speaking into our culture and declaring words that we need to hear, all right? So your, young, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike. All right, so they're the sorts of things that can happen when someone's filled with the spirit. So bearing all that in mind, putting all that together, let's remember our church's vision. Our vision for these first few years we're in now, we, we put all this together. It was back in 2017. We said, so the, the vision is this. It's, this is the sort of church that we believe God wants us to grow towards in 2018 and beyond. All right? There are five key words. Yell them out for us. Five key words. What are they? Don't yell out spirit-filled. Yell out the others. What are they? Hey? Outward-looking. Because we just talked about outward looking a few minutes ago, didn't we? That was one of the ones that we, when I was up here, we were talking about Christmas carols. Outward looking. Others? Growing. Thank you. Thank you. So it's talking about not growing bigger and lots more people, but each person growing to know, love, and serve Jesus. Okay? So outward looking, growing. We've already got spirit filled. What's the other two? Missional. Thank you. Thank you, Esther. Missional. So we're actually saying that mission really matters to us. All right, we'll talk more about that. Talk about that in our church members meeting last week. And the final one. Multi-ethnic. All right, we actually want, it's not like we're just, it's just happening. We actually really, really want to be multi-ethnic. We want, we'd love to have every nation in the world represented here in this church. Yeah? Got a fair few already. So here we go. This is the one spirit-filled. It says, and they've all, like, they've all got a word, but then they've got a sentence that describes it. Here's the sentence that describes Spirit-filled. We long to be a church where the Holy Spirit is given no limitations, where he is free to move in and change us whenever and however he chooses, and where all his gifts operate in complete freedom. So let's just imagine that all of us here who are following Jesus are really convinced of this sense from God's word that he wants us to be filled with the Spirit. And, 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 and so you're agreeing with me. It's not like he just doesn't want us just praying a prayer and then now I'm a Christian and I turn up to church each week and that's kind of where it stops. He actually wants us diligently seeking that deeper work of the Spirit in our lives and then hour by hour during the day, letting ourselves be filled with the Spirit. Um, so go back to my example just where, where I stood at the back and did that just a few minutes ago. Like I'd already done it this morning. That was, that was the second time for the day. 
All right? So hour by hour, you know, all the time, letting ourselves be filled with the Spirit. And, and you know, we're accepting as well like it's a command. He definitely doesn't want us quenching or stifling the Holy Spirit. So if we're all seeking to be filled with the Holy Spirit, what's going to happen? It's going to look different. Um, first and best place to get a picture of what the Holy Spirit looks like is in the Bible. So come check it out with me, 1 Corinthians, if you've got your Bible. This is one of at least, at least three letters that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. Young church, in 1 Corinthians especially, this is really critical. So listen in, this is why he wrote the letter. He was actually writing it because there were, even though it's a church and even though these people know Jesus and they're trying to do the right thing, there's plenty of dodgy, questionable stuff that's going on there. All right. So one of them, for instance, communion. Communion now, like we just, you know, take a little little biscuit and a, and a, a glass of juice. You know, we eat it and drink it. Um, communion in the early church was actually like a meal. Every time they get together, like they're, like they're having a meal together. And what was happening for these meals was that they were coming along and the rich people were going in and the poor people were staying out in the foyer <laughs> and the rich people were going in there and they were eating and drinking themselves stupid. So you know then when the verse that's there that says, hey, so don't eat and drink of the Lord's cup in an unworthy manner. That's what he's talking about, all right? So he's writing to the, to the Corinthian church, especially in 1 Corinthians, to actually try and... Co- correct some things that are wrong, all right? Um, He writes some really strong letters, some of the strongest writing in the Bible. He knows that some of what he says causes consternation and hassle and even grief and anger, but he's passionate about the truth and he's not going to sugarcoat it, he's not going to minimize it, not going to shy away from it. That's the setting for 1 Corinthians thinking of those strange, weird Truman Show things. Look at this, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Now, dear brothers and sisters, I will write about the special abilities the Holy Spirit gives to each of us. Why? For I must correct your misunderstandings about them. You're going to follow Jesus. You've got the Holy Spirit in you. We saw that last week. You want to be filled with the Spirit. Well, the first thing that we need to do is to correct your misunderstandings. And we will do that by telling you the truth. That's what Paul says. And at the moment, this language implies, he actually says um, you're ignorant about the Holy Spirit. When we're ignorant, friends, part of the curse is that ignorance begets ignorance. In other words, if you're ignorant, you don't know you're ignorant. In fact, In fact, you're smugly convinced that you're not ignorant. So when someone says or does something that disagrees with what you, in your ignorance, think or believe or say or practice, even though you don't think you're ignorant, then you, ignorantly, assume that they're wrong. See, it's an insidious beast. You guys, Paul says, you used to be like a a raft that was swept along in the river and you got caught up in all sorts of stranger, weird Truman Show type things. But now, I want you to know how to discern what's from God and what's not. 
exactly what he wants for you and for me and for us. So a literal translation of verse 1 from the Greek language, he says, now concerning spiritual things, what we call a wooden translation, just word for word. Now concerning spiritual things, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. Now the way that he writes this, it's something that's really common in Paul's letters and we know it's his way of drawing really special attention to whatever he's talking about. It's like he'd say, listen to everything I say, but really listen to this. I don't want you to be agnoain in the Greek. It means ignorant. That means, like the word, it actually means to be unacquainted with. Unacquainted with, to not discern or even to be mistaken. Now that's not, that is not intentional or deliberate opposition. If you're, if you're intentionally or deliberately doing, that's quenching the spirit, that's stifling the spirit. But this one's ignorant. With the special force of his writing. It's like, okay, so, you may have worked out that I like football. I love football. Deb doesn't. Deb, Deb really has got very little tolerance for football at all. Once a year, once a year she comes to the footy with me, we bring the kids, that's just like a family day, but <laughs> you know, it's, there's zero enjoyment in it for them. So this would be like, if, but, but hey, so, so Deb's ignorant about football. She doesn't know the rules, she doesn't know the players, like, you know, like, she's ignorant about football. But does it matter? I mean, who cares? Oh, like I do, but anyone else, you know, like, it doesn't matter, does it? It's, it's okay to be ignorant about football. It's okay to be ignorant about gardening. I am. Or art. You don't want to go to the National Gallery and walk around and look at art for two hours? Spare me. Sports cars. But you see, it's of no real consequence if you're ignorant about those things. The way that Paul writes this though, listen really carefully to this, friends. He is saying, he's an apostle of God. He's writing the inspired word of God and he's saying, if you are ignorant about spiritual things, things of the Holy Spirit, then you're sadly, sadly out of the place that God made you and designed you to be in. And your ignorance will beget ignorance. That's why he doesn't want you to be unaware. Look now in verse 4. He says, now there are different kinds of spiritual gifts. The Greek word is charismata. That's the word that we get charisma or charismatic from, and you think charisma, if someone's charismatic, if someone's got charisma, they're expressive. They're expressive, all right? But it's the same Holy Spirit who is the source of them all. Different kinds of service in the church, but it's the same Lord we're serving. There are different ways God works in our lives, but it's the same God who does the work through all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us as a means of helping the entire church. Here's the truth, friends. The Holy Spirit gives gifts to believers so other people can perceive God, expressing. So the Holy Spirit gives gifts to believers so that we can express God. Spiritual gifts 
Here's a little definition for you to work with. Special abilities distributed to every believer by the Holy Spirit according to God's design and grace for the common good of the body of Christ. When we're filled with the Spirit, friends, you're asking what does it look like? When we're filled with the Spirit, what might it look like? You know what? We are identifying and cultivating and using our spiritual gifts. Now, as we've seen these last couple of weeks, God's design of the Holy Spirit living in every single believer. Trust. You know, it's something not every single believer always grasps that. Like the Holy Spirit, this is God. The Holy Spirit, if you're a believer, living in you. If the Holy Spirit then enables that believer to show God to other people. Now, it's here when we're in church together, sure, like in our church building, but it's in our ministry teams, it's in our life groups, it's in our homes, it's in our workplaces, in the school classroom, the uni lecture theatre, the labour ward in Manila, Philippines for Jamie, a part-time job, wherever, whatever, 24-7. The Holy Spirit actually in us enables us, when we're filled with Him, enables us to express God. Um, the main Bible passages, which you can have a look at later, that talk about spiritual gifts, got a list in there, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Ephesians 4, Romans 12, 1 Peter 4. Take a look at them. The Holy Spirit gives gifts. They're going to show you those verses to believers so other people can perceive God. Look now in verse 8, chapter 12, 1 Corinthians. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, he gives the gift of special knowledge. A person gives special faith to another. To someone else, he gives the power to heal the sick. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and to another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to know whether it is really the Spirit of God or another person that is speaking. We often call that gift discernment. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages. We often call that tongues. And another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It's the one and only Holy Spirit who distributes these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. See that last sentence there? Those words are critical for me in, in my understanding and theology of the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts. He alone decides. Jeff, don't you, whatever you do, start trying to tell the Holy Spirit what he can and he can't do, or what he does and he doesn't do. The Holy Spirit gives gifts to believers so other people can perceive God. Now, these are some of the gifts that we just read that the Holy Spirit gives. You might be familiar with others, you know, from some of the other biblical passages. Things like leadership, teaching, administration, shepherding or pastoring, administration, mercy, helping, giving, exhortation, or we call that encouragement. There's even one in there for celibacy. Celibacy, Wow. There's a whole range of views and ideas about spiritual gifts out there, friends, and we haven't got time to go into all of them. 
But I just want to, one or two of them that we just want to name here. The first one is called cessationism. Or otherwise we'd say that someone's got the cessationist view. So it comes from the word cease. All right? Now this is the view. Just, I'll try and explain it for you real easy. Some of the spiritual gifts, if you're a cessationist, you believe that some of the spiritual gifts, and usually it's what we call the sign gifts. So it's ones like tongues, healing, miracles, prophecy. Cessationists think that those gifts were only ever on earth for a short time. During what we would call the apostolic age. So really, for the first generation or two, after Jesus was on earth, and they say it, it was to really help usher in the age of the Spirit, you know, and so signs and wonders, and, but they were only there for that time. Now, that's a view. I, I, I just want you to know, I reject that view. And I'm not demanding that you reject it too, but I do. I've got two reasons for saying that. And I say it because I feel really strongly about it. First is what I call the Bible test. All right? So one of my friends, he's an AFL chaplain. um, Won't won't name the club or the player or the chaplain, but he calls me this week and he's beside himself on the phone excited. He makes me cry in our conversation because he tells me that a player has just... I've just got a little bit of little bit of background here with this guy and that sort of stuff that's why he calls me he calls me and there's a player who has called him that morning and said to my friend I am ready to commit my life to Jesus can we can we please get together (laughs) and I said I bet you said no I'm a bit busy this week We'll do it next week. And he just laughed, you know. So he had arranged, he was going over there at three o'clock the next afternoon. And he said, would you just pray for me? He said, I can't tell a lot of people about this. Could you just pray for me? So I say, yeah. <laughs> he calls me the next night. He says, Jeff, it's done. I said, I went through. I said, I spent an hour and a half. I told him all through again the gospel message. And then I said, what do you want to do about it? And he said, I'm ready to do that now. So he said, Jeff, We prayed together and he received Jesus then and there. I left the Bible with him. I left him with a Bible and a book and he said, can you read the Bible? Um, And and so he's going to read the Bible and um, what I'm, this is the Bible test for me about cessationism. Would that guy sit down and read the Bible and come up with the idea of cessationism? Is there any way you could read the Bible and say, those gifts, they were only there for now, and now they're gone? I don't think so. All right. um, friends, I just looked at the clock, and we're like, man, I'm way behind. So I better just quickly finish, hadn't I? There's another view called dispensationalism, and that basically just says, you know, there's, there's different dispensations or periods of time in which God works, and he works in that way in that time, that way in that time, that way in that time. So they'd say we're in the dispensation there where God doesn't use these sorts of gifts. All right? um, I don't agree with that one either. Look at this though, verse 29. Is everyone an apostle? Of course not. No. Is everyone a prophet? No. Are all teachers? Does everyone have the power to do miracles? Does everyone have the gift of healing? Of course not. 
Does God give all of us the ability to speak in tongues or unknown languages? Can everyone interpret unknown languages? No. And in any event, even though there's all those gifts, you should desire the most helpful gifts. You want to know what that is? Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. That explains a bit more to you about that. When we're filled with the Spirit, friends, in the church, all the gifts are being used and expressed for the common good. See, uh, in verse 7 there, in the New American Standard, it says, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. What for? So why does God give spiritual gifts? It's for the common good. Listen carefully, the common good. You know what it means? It means to bring people together. It actually means to be profitable, to be advantageous, to be beneficial. And just a word of warning, you know, that for every work there is of God and every work there is of the Spirit of God, there is a counterfeit work of Satan. And so when he wants to get hold of spiritual gifts and Holy Spirit stuff, his intention is to use it to bring division and to bring disharmony and disquiet and angst and consternation and hassle and grief. That's Satan. Like, so if you see those things happening, like no-brainer. Satan's, Satan's the one that's doing that work. The Holy Spirit's work is to, for the common good to bring people together. Holy Spirit gives gifts to believers so other people can perceive God. Just take a sec. I'm sorry, I did go. I lost track of the time there. So don't worry too much about that just for the next couple of minutes before we finish. And we're going to sing together.